0: Here it
1: is. From deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, following the lead of NPR, we're having auditions for uh, the replacement of those voices because they're just, either they're too public radio or they're not public radio enough. I'm, I'm still reading up on that. We, uh, we had, in this country, A guest in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu delivered a speech to Congress, well regarded by uh, many of those who showed up for the speech, mainly Republicans, but some Democrats. Apparently, their uh, hunger for bellicosity had not been uh, appropriately sated in recent weeks or months, so Bibi Netanyahu Helped with that little problem. He, he did say that if Iran got a nuclear uh, weapon, it would set off an arms race in the Middle East. And, of course, nobody wants that. What he didn't say is why an arms race in the Middle East hasn't been set off by Israel's unannounced but confirmed possession for years of a nuclear capability. Now, now we get into the, to the, to to some of the weeds here, ladies and gentlemen. I, when I was a kid, I'll, I'll admit it. I, uh, I did some studying in the fascinatingly titled world of political science on the subject of, at the time, a very uh, trendy subject, deterrence theory, the uh, theory of nuclear mutual assured destruction. That uh, was the, chief strategy of the United States' nuclear capability in those days. Herman Kahn, a noted theorist of mutual assured destruction. And as I recall, and and please, if you've been studying up on, d- on deterrence theory lately, come on, chime in. Join the conversation. But as I recall, there were really two elements to deterrence theory. One was threat, and the other was reassurance. Threat was, we got a lot of nukes. 20,000 aimed at your cities. Boo! The reassurance was they're hardened. The point being of, of both prongs of deterrence theory is to instill certainty in the putative enemy. You know we've got this capability. You know we can mush you, and you know that it's hardened, which means it can survive a first strike. If you don't do that, if you don't harden, if you don't assure the putative enemy that it is hardened, a rational enemy will assume the only use of your weapons, since it can't survive a first strike, is for a first strike. In the light of all this, one wonders, what is the point, deterrence-wise, of a nuclear capability which the possessor does not publicly acknowledge? Of course, the only problem with deterrence theory is, like classical economics, it assumes humans are rational. Speaking of, uh, by, by the way, speaking of uh, BB's speech, the loudest applause, among the loudest applause, came from the government of our freedom-loving friend in Saudi Arabia, where there's news of freedom-loving this week. An Indian citizen has been arrested there for allegedly posting offensive religious images on Facebook. The man was obtained by Saudi religious police, according to Gulf News, after reportedly posting a photo of Mecca's Grand Mosque and its iconic black cuboid replaced with Hindu religious symbols. A Saudi national reportedly alerted the country's religious police the Commission for the Promotion of Virtue and the Prevention of Vice, after seeing the image, which prompted an investigation. The man accused of posting the photo was arrested at the airport by police under the country's anti-cyber crime law, which bans the publication or promotion of offensive pictures. The man admitted ownership of the Facebook page in question. He denied posting the photo to his account, claiming he'd only clicked like in order to see the photo, which was originally posted on another account. The move makes the man guilty of a crime under Saudi law, according to a former member of the, the country's Bureau of Investigation. He said the man would now face a maximum of five years in prison and a fine of nearly $800,000. Saudi Arabia's anti-cybercrime law forbids the permission, the transmission or production of materials that are designed or deemed to violate public order, religious values, or morality. Wouldn't well, it be nice to live in a country like that? And... Saudi Arabia is currently beheading prisoners and criminals at what Amnesty International called an unprecedented rate. Guess the beheading contest is well on. In the first two months of this year, 38 people have been executed by beheading, many who were convicted of non-violent drug crimes. The country's new leader, King Salman, seems to be uh, on a pace ahead of his predecessor. For the same period, last year, the number of people executed was three times lower. Ooh, Salman's smoking. Almost half of this year's executions, according to Amnesty, is have been for nonviolent drug-related offenses. Drug trafficking is among the capital crimes in Saudi Arabia. Also, apostasy. According to a diplomatic source who told uh, talked to Agence France-Presse, the increase in executions is due to the new king wanting to show his power. He showed us our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Hello, welcome to the show. From London, England, where they've imported some of the best of American culture. They now have uh, raging in this country, not just prime ministerial debates for the upcoming election. They imported those last time around, getting very presidential about it. This time they've imported our tradition of debating about how many debates to have. From that self-same London, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of Prime Minister Netanyahu's speech, news from outside the bubble. Before a major anti-Netanyahu rally in Tel Aviv this week, the former chief of Israel's Mossad spy agency rejected claims made by Prime Minister Netanyahu in Congress about Iran's nuclear program. Mayor Dagan denied yet Netanyahu's claim that the deal under negotiation with world powers would allow Iran to create a nuclear weapon within a year or less. The time is longer than what he describes, said Dagan. He also rejected Netanyahu's assertion that Iran's intercontinental ballistic missile program could allow it to deliver a nuclear arsenal quote, to every part of the United States. Says Dagan, the missiles cannot reach the US. When asked if Netanyahu does not know that, Dagon replied, quote, he knows, so what? Unquote. Dagan has been a fierce critic of Netanyahu's approach to Iran, emerging as a key opponent, of a potential Israeli military attack against Iran's nuclear facilities. He said Netanyahu's trip to Washington over White House objections was pointless and counterproductive. He directed the Mossad from 2002 to 2010, a period when it reportedly carried out overt, sorry, covert attacks against Iranian nuclear scientists and unleashed cyber attacks that delayed Iran's nuclear project. Last week, he told an Israeli daily that, quote, the person who has caused the greatest strategic damage to Israel on the Iranian issue is the prime minister, unquote. That from the Associated Press. Moving quickly to Ukraine, or me for that matter, Hawks in Washington seem determined to torpedo Berlin's search for a diplomatic solution to the Ukraine crisis, reporting is Der Spiegel, the German news magazine. NATO's top commander in Europe hasn't been helping either, it says. The battle between the uh, Ukrainians and the Russians had uh, gone quiet last Wednesday. Apparently, the ceasefire had taken effect. On that day, General Philip Breedlove, the top NATO commander in Europe, said Putin had once again upped the ante. In Ukraine, with well over a thousand combat vehicles, Russian combat forces, some of the most sophisticated air defense battalions of artillery having been sent. What is there, Breedlov said, is that what is clear, Breedlov said, is that right now it is not getting better. It is getting worse every day, unquote. German leaders in Berlin, reports Der Spiegel, were stunned. They didn't understand what Breedlov was talking about and not for the first time. The German government, supported by intelligence gathered by Germany's former foreign intelligence agency, did not share the view of NATO's supreme allied commander in Europe. It's a familiar pattern for months. Breedlove has been commenting on Russian activities in eastern Ukraine, talking of troop advances on the border, the amassing of munitions and the alleged columns of Russian tanks over and over again. His numbers have been significantly higher than those in possession of our NATO allies in Europe. The German government, reports to Spiegel, is alarmed. Sources in the Office of Chancellor Merkel have referred to Breedlove's comments as, quote, dangerous propaganda. The general, say, uh, sources in Washington, clears his comments with the White House and the Pentagon. They say he has the role of the superhawk whose purpose is increasing the pressure on America's more reserved partners across the pond. For months now, many in the chancellor's office simply shake their heads, reports Der Spiegel. Each time NATO, under Breedlove's leadership, goes public with striking announcements about Russian troop or tank movements. The intelligence analysts in Germany do not doubt Moscow is supporting the pro-Russian separatists, but the tone of Breedlove's announcements that makes Berlin uneasy. False claims and exaggerated accounts hurt NATO's credibility, says a top German official. The German intelligence services generally appraise the threat level much more cautiously than the Americans do, says an international military expert in Kyiv. At the beginning of the crisis, General Breedlove announced the Russians had assembled 40,000 troops on the Ukrainian border, warning that an invasion could take place at any moment. The situation, he said, was incredibly concerning. Intelligence officials from NATO member states had already excluded the possibility Of a Russian invasion, they believed neither the composition nor the equipment of the troops was consistent with an invasion. The experts contradicted Breedlove's view in almost every respect. Not 40,000 soldiers on the border, perhaps fewer than 20,000. Breedlove, though, repeatedly made inexact, contradictory, or even flat-out inaccurate statements, says Der Spiegel. On November 14th last year, He told a German newspaper there were regular Russian army units in eastern Ukraine. One day later, he said they weren't fighting units, but mostly trainers and advisors. He first said there were between 250 and 300 of them, then between 300 and 500, and then even 1,000. The fact that NATO has no intelligence agency of its own plays into Breedlove's hands. I stand by all the public statements I've made during the Ukraine crisis, he wrote to Der Spiegel in in response to a request for a statement. People in Berlin have the impression important power brokers in Washington are working against the Europeans. When Chancellor Merkel made a trip to speak with Putin in February, Victoria Newland, Assistant Secretary of State for Central European Affairs, referred to that as Merkel's Moscow stuff. Berlin officials have noticed that following the visit of American politicians, hello, Senator McCain, or military leaders to Kiev, Ukrainian officials are much more bellicose and optimistic about their own military ability to win the conflict on the battlefield. We then have to laboriously bring the Ukrainians back into the course of negotiations, said one Berlin official. And let's look south. In Sao Paulo, Brazil, drinking water is used to flush toilets, bathed until very recently to wash cars and even hose down city pavements, reports The Guardian. In Brazil, a land of immense natural riches and home to about 12% of the world's fresh water, the very idea of a water shortage is hard for people to conceive of. Yet, despite the state government's prevarication over possible imminent rationing, two days of water followed by four days without, in reality, millions are now getting just a few hours of water a day in Sao Paulo, a city of 20 million, many struggling with no water at all for days on end. The hydric collapse, as many are calling it, has left Sao Paulo teetering on the brink. Domestic use accounts for only a fraction of the water consumed in the state, where extensive agriculture and industry places intense pressure on water resources. For the city's residents, learning to use water wisely is suddenly the most pressing need of all. The state governor has insisted repeatedly the water will continue to flow as usual. No state of emergency has been declared. Some experts believe such a declaration well, no pun intended, overdue. In the meantime, residents of Sao Paulo are making their own arrangements, storing water at home, drilling homemade wells. As a result, partly of badly stored water, instances of dengue fever spread by mosquitoes almost tripled in January compared with the previous year. But... Let's use let's use more water for fracking, shall we? Lots more. That's another subject. We'll get to right away, but that was news from outside the bubble, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now
2: we've got the old-
1: Uh, More than a bit of slack, apparently. Oklahoma scientists, those working for the state government, have suspected for years that oil and gas operations in the state were causing a swarm of earthquakes in public. They've rejected such a connection, reports Energy Wire. When the Oklahoma Geological Survey did cautiously agree with other scientists about such a link, emails obtained by Energy Wire show the state seismologist was called into meetings with his boss, president of the University of Oklahoma, and some oil executives concerned about the acknowledgement. One of the oilmen was a leading donor to the university. The seismologist, Austin Holland, told a senior U.S. Geological Survey official as far back as 2010, Oklahoma Geological Survey officials believed an earthquake swarm near Oklahoma City might have been triggered by an oil and gas project east of the city. But until we can demonstrate that scientifically or not, we were not going to discuss that publicly. Instead, he pointed to changing lake levels. And when USGS officials linked a remarkable surge in earthquakes in Oklahoma and other states to drilling waste disposal in 2012, OGS criticized their rush to judgment. Holland told Energy Wire the intense personal interest shown by the president of the university, the head of the Oil Company, who's a donor to the university and other leaders, hasn't affected his scientific findings or those of the Oklahoma Geological Survey. We have the academic freedoms necessary for university employees doing research, he said. Holland and OGS have been the voice of skepticism in the scientific community about connections between oil production activities and the hundreds of earthquakes that have recently shaken the state. Industry and political leaders where one out of every six jobs is linked to oil and gas, have welcomed and seized on that skepticism. Other states have ordered wells permanently shut down and imposed strict rules after earthquakes. Hello, Ohio. But Oklahoma regulators have been reluctant to permanently shut down wells and have limited new regulations to information-gathering. Federal and academic seismologists say the wave of shaking in Oklahoma and other central states is not from natural earthquakes. They link it to disposal of wastewater. Who needs it? It's water by oil and gas companies. The rise in seismic activity, especially in the central United States, is not the result of natural processes. The U.S. Geological Survey said in a recent press release, deep injection of wastewater is the primary cause of the dramatic rise in detected earthquakes. In 2011, Oklahoma was hit by its largest ever recorded quake, a 5.7, near Prague, Oklahoma. Two were injured. A professor at the University of Oklahoma published a peer-reviewed paper two years later linking the Prague quake to nearby disposal wells. But the Oklahoma Geological Survey rejected those findings. Not long afterward, the professor, the seismologist who wrote that paper, left Oklahoma for Cornell. State officials continued to allow the companies in the area to inject near the fault that had ruptured. Statewide injection of waste fluid rose 42% from 2010 to 2013, but in the fall of that year, Oklahoma's geological survey edged toward acknowledging a link between the state's earthquakes and oil and gas. That's when the oil company president and other Oklahoma leaders took a personal interest in expressing their concern. What the frack? Could send that wastewater to uh, Sao Paulo. I bet you they'd drink it. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, you probably heard the story that uh, I think made much of the national news this week regarding a woman's execution in Georgia having been postponed for the second time this time because of concerns about the drugs to be used in the execution. Kelly Giesendonner was scheduled to die Monday. Prior to the execution, the drugs were sent to an independent lab for testing of potency, said the Georgia Department of Corrections. Within the hours leading up to the scheduled execution, the execution team performed the necessary checks, said the statement. At the time, the drugs appeared cloudy. The Department of Corrections immediately consulted with a pharmacist and in abundance of caution, the inmate's execution has been postponed. Many states have had problems with the so-called cocktail of three different substances used in uh, lethal injection executions. Many companies have refused to sell those preparations to state governments for that purpose. But now the drugs come up cloudy. Uh, I think, just trying to be helpful, they might turn for uh, relief to where we all turn these days TV. It started out as just a normal end-of-life day.
2: But then I felt the old doubt, the old anxiety. When a cocktail of medications be cloudy again, that really would spoil everything. A cloudy day
3: can put a sudden stop to the best-planned end-of-life. But now, it doesn't have to happen.
0: I got sunshine
3: on a cloudy day. Now there's Exequil. A breakthrough in end-of-life cocktailing. Thanks to the scientifically engineered enzyme Claritinase, race, Exequil can't get cloudy, no matter how long you store it before use.
2: But does it give me the same three-way effectiveness? Or do I have to use another life-diminishing medication in combination?
1: Yeah, that just makes my life more complicated.
3: Exequil has the same three-way effectiveness as the quasi-medical cocktails you've been using. Stops lungs, heart, and consciousness with just one application. No need to re-dose. With Exequil, it's one, and they're
1: done. We just switched to Exequil. Now our end-of-life days are
2: problem-free. Exequil was in our fridge all during the appeals process. Still came out clear as the morning sun in July. Thanks to Exequil. No more cloudy days.
0: I got sunshine.
1: Exequil should not be administered if the patient has recently been prescribed Acucilay. Observed side effects of Exequil may include prolonged death, premature death, delayed death, death death-like symptoms, and death.
0: On a cloudy day.
3: End-of-life cocktailing never looked so clear. Ask someone dressed like a doctor if Exequil is right for you.
0: Could love that man of mine till the birdies wake and chime good morning there ought to be a law in clover time to keep that moon out over time to keep each lover's lane in rhyme till dawning you'd better hurry up hurry up hurry up get busy today you'd better crew and tune to the man in the moon and here's what i'd say There ought to be a moonlight saving time So I could love that man of mine Till the birdies wake and chime Good morning Love that man of mine till the birdies wake and chime. Good morning. There ought to be a moonlight saving time so I could say good morning.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this is Le Show from London, and it may have occurred to you, it may have not escaped your notice, that big banks and the executives thereof don't really get punished for their... uh, Felonies and or misdemeanors. Just uh, Google HSBC or Bank of America, for that matter, if, if, if you're not of that persuasion yet. So how small do you have to be to not get the privileges accorded in our justice system to big banks? Well, even the little banks walk, it appears. The First National Community Bank of Dunmore, Pennsylvania admits now that it failed to file suspicious activity reports on transactions limited to a judicial corruption scheme known as Cash for Kids. Isn't that nice? For the kids. It spanned more than five years. Only after one of the judges involved in the bribery and kickback scheme pleaded guilty did the bank file a report. The Financial Crimes Enforcement Network of the Treasury Department fined the bank A million and a half dollars for willfully violating the Bank Secrecy Act. Did any human do that? Apparently not. Only the bank was punished. You can't send a bank to jail. Two former judges in Pennsylvania were ultimately convicted in the scheme. Michael Conahan was sentenced to 17 and a half years in prison. Mark Chivarella was jailed for 28 years. Those were humans who were actually jailed. Not the bank. Nobody at the bank. Although... Michael Conahan was on the bank's board of directors. He controlled accounts at the bank through which he processed the b- bribes and kickbacks. The judges took more than two and a half million, sorry, $2.2 million from the operator of two private for-profit youth detention centers. In return, the judges sentenced thousands of juveniles to increase the number of residents in the privately run centers actual centers. Despite several red flags indicating suspicious activity, the bank did not file a a single suspicious activity report related to these accounts until after the first guilty plea. The judge, Judge Conahan, tried to disguise his bribes using his accounts at the bank. There were red flags that should have caused the bank to respond, according to the Treasury Department. A 2007 law enforcement subpoena for information related to Conahan and others. The bank Responded to the subpoena but but failed to conduct any further analysis. Activity as early as 2005 involving many large round-dollar transactions often occurring on a single day and an abnormal volume of activity compared to the account balances. During this time, the bank failed to file suspicious activity reports. The bank's failure to file timely suspicious activity reports may have deprived law enforcement of information valuable for tracking millions of dollars in related corrupt funds said the director of the Treasury Department office. And, of course, those kids spend more time in detention centers as a result of the scheme. And here's how small you have to be to get a sentence. California Attorney General Kamala Harris, she's running for governor, and the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of California announced Alan Tikal, principal operator of a mortgage fraud sc- scheme, has been sentenced to 24 years in prison. His actions were illegal and will not be tolerated in California. He and his partners defrauded hundreds of hardworking Californians who were fighting to keep their homes during our state's foreclosure crisis. This predatory scheme robbed families of their life savings and in many cases our ho- their homes. That's from the press release by the attorney general who's now running for governor. In September of last year, Alan Takal was convicted of 11 counts of mail fraud and one count of money laundering. Hey, isn't that the same thing that HSBC did for years? Money laundering? Yeah, just got a fine. But no, this guy was prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office and the California Attorney General's Office. For three years, he operated a business which targeted vulnerable and non-English speaking homeowners looking for mortgage assistance. In the wake of the financial meltdown, he and his associates promised these homeowners their outstanding mortgage debt would be reduced by 75%. He falsely claimed he was a registered private banker with access to a big line of credit and was able to pay off homeowners' debt in full in exchange for various fees and payments. There were no instances in which the homeowners' mortgage was paid, forgiven, or extinguished. Instead, he pocketed the victim's money and spent it on airline travel, a $5,000 suit, new cars, and extravagant living expenses. Homeowners paid more than $5.8 million in fees and monthly payments to Tikal and his associates. The results were catastrophic for many families. So, you know, he's a, he, he, he didn't rob liquor stores. He was a financial fraudster. But that's how small you have to be to do big time. Ladies and gentlemen, you have... Made note, I am sure, of the kerfuffle surrounding Hillary Clinton's email account. It turns out, it it has been reported by the Washington Post and others, that during her time as Secretary of State in the Obama administration, Secretary Clinton used only a private email account for all of her email business, private or public, Clinton email .com, there's some dispute as to where the server for that account was located. The original story said in her house. Uh, That's later been modified. But in any case, the State Department policy is official business should be done on government accounts, which have uh, supposedly more stringent security protocols in place. The question now is, were there breaches or hacking incidents that may have uh, jeopardized national security kind of information last year somewhat late given the uh, policy of having email records be uh, archived and available to interested legislators and or citizens last year uh Hillary Clinton turned over about 50,000 pages these would be printed out pages one assumes, of her emails from the period in question. The question remains, who chose which emails were turned over, since only she and her staff, which included her longtime advisor, Cheryl Mills, who was involved as a lawyer for the president in his uh, campaign to stave off impeachment and, and conviction, Um, only she and her staff decided which emails were to be turned over for archival purposes. The Washington Post, I believe, also was the journalistic institution to report that the Saudi Arabian government was among the foreign governments which contributed money to the Clinton Foundation during the time that Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Certainly, Saudi Arabia has continued... Uh, was a contributor to the foundation before she took that office and has continued to contribute after raising some questions of propriety and or interest in U.S. foreign policy on the part of the Saudi Arabians. Imagine that. And uh, the Post, heavy on this story apparently, also reports that Lloyd Blankfein, chairman of Goldman Sachs, has directed the um, the megabank's political donations, contributions, support to uh, two people in the upcoming presidential campaign, Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton. We'd be happy if, with either of them, he says. Bank hopes that either of them will help to improve the image of the banking industry. Oh, yes, it all does sound like another episode of Clinton Something next here on the show.
3: Clinton Something, the pre-candidacy years. This one can go through. Uh, Let me see, Cheryl. If we're going to get through this, you have to... I won't look at them all. It's just... (laughs) Well, yes. Glad I flagged this one. What? It's just Homa telling her husband he's a putz for uploading photos of his... Don't they call it a putz? Oh, I don't know what they call it or... Him, but... (laughs) This thread has nothing to do with State Department business, and it just dredges up the whole Anthony Weiner thing again. You know, as well as I do, we've got... Enough of that stuff, homegrown But but, but no one's going to get any news value Out of regurgitating Huma's embarrassment and anguish at being married to such a Don't look at me that way I gotcha You're right, that one stays in our pile Thank you, Cheryl When people Google me in 60 minutes I want them to get me talking about foreign policy Not about my marriage vows uh, This but, is a judgment call oh, What is it? You're telling your agent you want the full 300K to speak at the Goldman Sachs retreat? I think it goes through. It shows you as a strong negotiator. If you're playing hardball with Goldman Sachs, of course, you can play hardball with Putin. Uh, I don't know. It brings back memories of dead broke. Can't we leave that one to be, uh, you know, found later? In fairness, Madam Secretary, what we're going through right now... ...are the ones we did find later. Than the ones we turned over last year. I know. But, you know, people misplace hard drives... ...and then they find them. And then they misplace them again? <laughs> okay. I'll tell the messaging team to start working on... ...she stood up to Goldman Sachs. Cool. These these are fine. Just acknowledging receipt of uh, cables regarding South Sudan. <laughs> fine. Turn them over. Mm-hmm. Nobody in the media cares about South Sudan. <laughs> Republicans probably think it's where African cars are made. <laughs> oh, speaking of Africa, mm-hmm. we've uh, done a broad canvas survey of our tech resources, and <sighs> no known computer virus has been known to delete only emails with the word Benghazi in their header. Okay,
2: worth a try. <laughs> Can't
3: blame a gal for...
2: Well, this is a bummer supremo. (laughs) Hello, counselor.
3: (laughs) Mr President, I'm sorry I spread out this stuff all over Uh, the
2: It's okay. I can stand next to the fireplace. In fact I better my my butt's frozen to my pants.
3: As usual, Bill, TMI (laughs) Now look, everybody knew this email thing was gonna be a little two day story, so So the two days stretched. Still. Yeah.
2: Yeah, still. Still, I got to be the one handling the calls from Lloyd Blankfein, asking me if if this is a thing. Well, sure, it's a thing,
3: but it's not a thing thing.
2: Right. I'm going to say that to the head of Goldman. Uh, Maybe
3: I should uh, take a little coffee break. You stay right here, Cheryl. You're a lawyer that makes all this privilege. Hon, we're all lawyers. Well then it's triple privileged Look, Bill, for once I'm in the relatively advantageous position Of getting to defend my own actions Instead of having to defend yours That's...
2: That's below the belt In a bad way Listen, Toots Jeffrey Epstein may be a lot of things He's a registered saxophone Well, but not for anything that happened on that island Oh, of course not It's his island No, no, but I mean It's all legit there No matter what you hear Meaning? Meaning he got the island council to make the fetal viability age the age of consent. I... you're kidding. I may be, (laughs) but this email thing is so against the policy of the department you used to run. I'm just trying to figure out the number of double axles and triple camels I'm going to have to pull off to keep Lloyd from moving all of his chips down the road to Mr. Jebediah.
3: Well... I don't want this to go beyond these walls I'll
2: go You'll stay But
3: Between you and me, Bill Mm -hmm. There's more than one bank on Wall Street And if uh, I can say something (laughs) Sure, Cheryl, your family
2: And your privilege
3: Well, no matter what Goldman does I've been told the Saudis are all in (laughs) You know, sometimes I think they may be the only true humanitarians
2: And maybe the campaign song this time around should be, Don't Stop Thinking About the Saudis.
3: (laughs) Youthful angst and mature taste for power. Together they add up to Clinton something. The pre-candidacy years.
2: And now,
1: the apologies of the week.
2: We're so sorry.
1: Dateline McBain, Michigan, a consultant helping a rural northern Michigan school district with its superintendent search, apologized for suggesting the candidates, quote, have a strong Christian background in philosophy. The consultant has removed that uh, description from the job description scott crosby oh scott crosby the regional president of the michigan leadership institute responded to the aclu's request to remove any reference to religion from the job posting crosby admitted the wording was poor judgment on his part not the school board the religious reference was not meant to discriminate but was intended to reflect the area's close-knit and conservative beliefs he said there are other ways to reflect that he said in an interview clearly was not intended to discriminate in any way shape or form unquote mr crosby An attorney for the family of Tamir Rice blasted Cleveland City and police officials this week for their suggestion in a court document filed late last week that the 12-year-old boy was responsible for his own death at the hands of city police officers in November. In response, city officials apologized and promised to drop that language in a new court document. Coca-Cola has pulled an ad for Fanta in Germany after accusations it intentionally overlooked the role the Nazi Nazi regime had in the soda's creation. The ad, called Good Old Times, was meant to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Fanta. The video explained how German bottling plants had to create their own formulas during the 1940s because they couldn't get the ingredients needed to make Coke. The syrup was unavailable because World War II trade embargoes against Nazi Germany prohibited it. Coca-Cola has apologized for the ad. Dayline, Olympia, Washington, a state senator, has apologized for comments he made during a public hearing in which he described minorities as colored and coloreds. Senator Jim Honeyford, a Republican, issued a written apology saying he realized the language wasn't appropriate and he will continue to serve his district with diligence and increased sensitivity. His remarks came during a hearing on a bill that would require future legislation to have impact statements identifying potentially disparate consequences for minorities. He described ethnic minorities as colored and coloreds in comments at the hearing. And in subsequent interviews, when his district was redrawn in 2011, it became Washington state's first majority Latino district, a nonprofit group affiliated with a drug enforcement administration apologized this week after sending out a tweet commemorating the address of a Harlem drug dealer in recognition of Black History Month. After receiving a torrent of criticism in response to the original tweet, the DEA Educational Foundation clarified that the focus of the original tweet was to be invaluable hard work of African-American DEA agents, not the target of the investigation, and it issued an apology. There's widespread agreement the DEA prosecution of the drug war, particularly in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, has had a disproportionate impact on black families and communities justice department and politicians from both parties are now taking active steps to reduce racial disparities in drug sentencing the dea seems out of step at this point but the dea educational foundation is a nonprofit organization that provides financial support to did you know this existed the drug enforcement administration museum in washington yes the dea has its own museum some would argue it is one. Deadline Amsterdam, the Dutch government apologized this week for ignoring risks posed by earthquakes caused by production of natural gas in the na- northern province of Groningen. The apology follows a report by the country's independent safety board that found the government, together with Shell and Exxon, had put profits before safety in exploiting the Groningen gas field, Europe's largest. Quote, I am very sorry that the safety interests of Groningen did not receive the attention they deserve, said the economic Affor- affairs minister, Hank Camp, not Hank Camp, but Hank Camp, safety, he says, will now come first. For at least a while, Senator Lindsey Graham apologized for mocking House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi's physical appearance during a closed-door fundraiser following Bibi Netanyahu's speech to Congress. While noting she appeared irritated on the House floor, Graham speculated she'd undergone plastic surgery. Did you see Nancy Pelosi on the House floor? Complete disgust, he said, according to Bloomberg's columnist Josh Rogan's report. If you can get through all the surgeries, there's disgust. NBC News tweeted that Graham had apologized. I made a very poor attempt at humor to talk about Pelosi's reaction. And for that, I apologize, he said. Humor by amateurs, ladies and gentlemen. Just saying. Deadline Jefferson City, Missouri, a fast food restaurant, is apologizing after an employee put an offensive message on a deputy's receipt. This is This is a trend we're seeing putting slurs on receipts. Nobody will notice. It happened at Jimmy John's in Jefferson City, Missouri. An employee typed the words stupid pig at the bottom of a receipt for a delivery order to a sheriff's department deputy. The receipt was uploaded to Facebook by another deputy and got hundreds of comments. The owner of that store, Kyle Raymer, apologized on Facebook and said the workers' employment will be handled accordingly. I spoke with the customer first thing, and we spoke about it, and we took care of the issue, and she knows herself. I don't view them that way, and most of my employees don't, said Raymer. They'll be providing free sandwiches to law enforcement officers, first responders, and firefighters until March 10th, (laughs) after which, forget about it. Save the Children has apologized to those who were upset by its decision to give Tony Blair a Global Legacy Award last year, saying the prize was bestowed solely for the former British Prime Minister's work in Africa, and was not intended as a celebration of his wider legacy. Justin Forsyth, CEO of Save the Children UK, and a former aide to Blair, hmm, admitted the move had damaged the international charity. It was given by the U.S. arm of Save the Children. An internal letter signed by more than 500 staff members said the award was not only morally reprehensible, but also dangers, endangers our credibility globally. An online petition urging the reward to be revoked has attracted nearly 125,000 signatures. Forsyth told the BBC that Save the Children recognized the anger the award had caused, but stopped short of issuing a full apology. I know that many of our supporters and volunteers were very upset, and several of our staff too, and I'm very sorry for that. But this award was given by our sister organization in the United States. It's a very different political context there, and they've hardly had any complaints there. He added, if it had been for his wider legacy, I think it would have been wrong. But it was for something quite specific that helped African children, and I'm sorry, it's upset so many people. The Washington Wizards. Here's another Black History Month apology. They apologized for a month-long attempt to honor Black History Month, many viewed as awkward and ill-fitting. On a personal level, it was a way to share thoughts on African-American historical figures whom we admire said a post on the Wizards Facebook page, we may have missed the mark and we apologize to those who were offended by the way this was presented. How was it presented? The NBA team created composite images that aligned portraits of some of the team's stars with iconic African Americans. Half of Martin Luther King Jr.'s face and that of Wizards owner Ted Leonsis. The images were released once a day in February. They're sorry. And retired neurosurgeon Dr. Ben Carson apologized for commenting Wednesday that prisoners' changes after they leave jail proves being gay is a choice. He said the science is still murky on the issue. Carson said he realized my choice of language does not reflect fully my heart on gay issues. How's your heart on gay issues, ladies and gentlemen? Continuing, I do not pretend to know how every individual came to their sexual orientation. I regret that my words to express that concept were hurtful and decisive, divisive, for that I apologize unreservedly to all that were offended. This was uh, his attempt to walk back comments he made earlier on CNN when he was asked whether being gay was a choice. He replied, absolutely, because a lot of people go into prison, go into prison straight and when they come out, they're gay. So did something happen while they were in there? Ask yourself that question. He's sorry. And Spokane County Prosecutor Larry Haskell apologizes for the angst caused by anti-Muslim comments his wife made on Facebook. Her comments raised questions about whether the community could trust her husband to be fair to people of all religions on a Facebook page called Chicks on the Right. Leslie Haskell commented in response to an article about a Muslim mayor in the Netherlands who said Muslims opposed to freedom can pack your bags and leave. I don't care what he said. I do not trust, trust Muslims. She spelled it with a Z. No matter what. Also, we do not. Do we know for sure this was correctly translated? In response to a YouTube video of a protester interrupting a Muslim speaker at an event to denounce Muhammad as a false prophet, Haskell wrote, "Oh my God, I love her. That's exactly what I would do." Haskell said he and his wife disagree about many issues, and her views don't reflect his. Wow, sounds like they're married. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And now, finally, news of the godly. Deadline Billings, Montana. Hundreds of victims of clergy sex abuse that have spanned decades in Montana may receive payments totaling about $20 million after a federal judge this week confirmed the bankruptcy reorganization plan for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena. More than 360 abuse claims will now go through an adjudication process to determine final payment amounts. Minimum $2,500. A $920,000 trust will be established for victims who come forward in the future. The majority of abuse occurred at the hands of Jesuit priests at the Ursuline Academy and the St. Ignatius Mission, both in St. Ignatius, Montana. The abuse ranged from rape and fondling to perpetrators taking sexual photographs of children. It began in the 1930s and continued through the 70s. The average age of the victims at the time of abuse was 10 Years old. News of the godly, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the and 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America via the shorewave giant WBCQ, the planet on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived HarryShearer.com and KCSN.org. Available as a free podcast through Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, and www.no.org. And it'd be just like a forecast of cloudy with less chance of death. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you already thank you very much? Uh Uh-huh. Show chapeau to the San Diego-Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program and a playlist of the music heard here on. And Cars I Talk t-shirts at harryshearer.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at the TheHarryShearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from sunny London.